Just where you're seated, let's pray. May God's word be spoken, may God's word be heard, and may God's word be lived. Amen. Well, a warm welcome to all of you joining us online today. Whatever your questions, doubts, and hopes, you're welcome at St. Paul's, and we're glad that you're here. Around midnight on October 3rd, uh, 2013, a small a smuggler's fishing boat, a mere 66 feet long, uh, packed with over 500 uh, migrants who were fleeing uh, starvation and warfare in Eritrea, this, this fishing boat began to run into engine trouble just a quarter of a mile off the Italian coast of Lampedusa. As the boat began to sink, they took a blanket and they lit it on fire, trying to catch the attention of the Italian Coast Guard. Of course, then uh, the lit blanket uh, collided with some gasoline and the fishing boat was engulfed in flames as it began to sink. And to avoid the fireball, many people flung themselves into the water. That night, over 360 people died with 155 being rescued. And a local craftsman uh, Francesco Tuccio was so deeply distressed that they weren't able to do more to save these Eritreans, uh, that he and other uh, local people from the village sort of waded into the water and brought their boats early in the morning to search for survivors. But because there were so few, Tuccio took his pain and his frustration and he channeled it into carving small wooden crosses out of the leftover fragments of that shipping vessel. The British Museum contacted Mr. Tuccio and commissioned him to make a cross especially for them. It is beautiful. Three generations of my family were born in India when it was under British rule, and I grew up being taught to revere and still do Mahatma Gandhi. And I then had a gap year during my undergrad living in southern India. And as an idealistic 18-year-old, I read a lot of Gandhi. A quote from his autobiography that I found arresting all those years ago. I could accept Jesus as a martyr, an embodiment of sacrifice, and a divine teacher. His death on a cross was a great example to the world. But that there was anything like a mysterious or miraculous virtue in it, my heart could not accept. Gandhi admired the sacrificial love of Jesus. Laying down your life for your friends seems incredibly noble. But Gandhi didn't believe that the cross had any power beyond that moment. How could a violent death bring peace and hope, wondered Gandhi. With over 22,000 dead in Canada alone from COVID-19, for many of us, death and suffering have burst into our lives in an unprecedented way. We fear for our jobs. We're concerned for the mental health of our children and our teens who've had a year of their lives stolen. So much loss, so much death. And still, Christians have the audacity for 2,000 years 
to choose an instrument of torture that was so gruesome that even the Romans, who were not the touchy-feely sort, even the Romans outlawed it in the 300s. And Christians have unrelentingly claimed that an instrument of death is the pathway to hope, to identity, to peace, even to joy. Francesco Tuccio was grasping, literally with his hands, grasping at that beautiful mystery of the wooden cross. How can the death of a no-name Jewish carpenter be good news for us in downtown Toronto? How can it positively impact how we parent our children, handle our finances, begin to re-emerge and rebuild our lives from the devastation of COVID? Why that wooden cross? Even Jesus wanted to know the answer to that question on, on the night before he died in the Garden of Gethsemane. Really, God? Do I really have to do this? Is there no other way? Is there no other way than that wooden cross? This morning, I want to circle around the mystery of that cross, how it is both inescapable and it is dazzling, and the power that it can have for our daily lives. So first, the cross, inescapable. All serious love requires some element of personal exchange that inevitably becomes costly. All real love requires some sense of sharing with other people's suffering, maybe even a trading places with them. And very often people will say something along the lines of, look, look, I hear you about sin. I know it's real. I know it's destructive. And unlike Donald Trump, who has gone on record saying that he's never asked God for forgiveness for anything, you know, I get it. I'm not perfect. I understand. But if God is a God of love, then why is the death of Jesus required? Why can't God just forgive? Without the cross, the simple answer is that without the cross, we no longer have the God of love. Without the cross, the love of God just becomes mere sentimentality. It's, it's a pious emoticon with no skin in the game. Because in the real world, in the lives that you and I actually live, love needs more than sentimentality. Real love requires getting in the trenches, even trading places. A few examples. We have uh, three daughters and children come into the world in a state of total dependence. They can't survive unless their parents give up much of their freedom and independence for many years. And if you don't allow your children to impinge on your own uh, happiness, uh, your own freedom and comfort, and if you'll only care for them when it doesn't inconvenience you, then your children will certainly physically grow up, but that's where it will stop. Uh, in so many other ways, your children will be uh, damaged and stunted. Our oldest, Emma, went to Haiti a few years ago on a trip with the church. 
And Haiti is not an entirely safe developing country. And so on a, a very small level, Tim and I had to open ourselves up to increased anxiety and uh, discomfort for 10 days so that Emma could grow in wisdom and maturity. Uh, videos texted to us of her bouncing around in the back of an open bed truck on a, a highway on a mountain uh, didn't really help us. But to love your children well, you must decrease so that they may increase. You have to sacrifice or they do. Or think of someone in your life who is really difficult. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you on the couch. But, but think of somebody that you know uh, who's emotionally damaged, has had a hard life. It is not possible to listen or love people like that and stay completely emotionally intact yourself. The other person, they'll probably feel supported and encouraged as you listen to them. Uh, but it comes at a cost to you. You always feel exhausted after having spent time with them. Once again, it's them or it's you. Three years ago, just before Good Friday, an ISIS-affiliated terrorist took hostages in a French grocery store. French police officer Arnand Beltram, knowing that he was walking to his death, strode across the grocery store parking lot into the grocery store. The hostages were released. He was stabbed, shot, and then later died in hospital. He was a practicing Catholic, and the priest, who was going to be marrying him in six weeks' time, instead gave him the last rites, marrying him and his fiancée in the hospital before he breathed his last. Real love, real love, requires costly personal exchange. If you do become personally involved, be they with your child or a work colleague or a, a patient on a ventilator, then in some way, their weaknesses, their flaws, their suffering, it flows towards you and your strength, your hope, your experience, it flows towards the other person. There is a sacrificial exchange. John Stott, a British Anglican priest of the past century, summed up how God became personally involved in our lives through the cross. The essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. We put ourselves where only God deserves to be. God puts himself where we deserve to be. Evil and sin is the biggest problem in the world, the cross tells us. And the cross is also where then God puts it on the line. Remember here that Christians believe that Jesus in some incredible way is the fullness of God. That the God who created the Kepler star systems and Ben and Jerry's is found in Jesus. But this God is not some primitive, a deity who demands blood for his wrath to be appeased. God does have anger and wrath 
at the sin in our lives and the evil in the world. And frankly, we wouldn't want it any other way. Who wants a God who is nudge, nudge, wink, wink about pornography and rape? Who wants a God who is soft on racism, homophobia, white collar crime, Eritreans drowning in the Mediterranean? I don't want a passive God in face of that, and you don't either. God's wrath is God's subtle judgment against the evil in the world and the sin in my life and yours. But we are worshiping a God who sees the problem and doesn't stand far off, pointing fingers or shrugging shoulders. No, God puts skin in the game and offers his own life for justice to be done and real love to be shown. For God's love not to just be sentimentality, the cross is inescapable. God must be willing to enter into pain, suffering, and evil. And only one belief system claims that that is exactly what God did. Many of you joining online today are carrying the troubles and burdens of daily life. All the troubles you had before a year of our lives was stolen, and now a whole bunch more. We're all tired, and we really, really want this to be over. And I cannot look you in the eye and try and sell you on a God who is far off and immune to exhaustion, to fear, who's immune to suffering and to death. What I can tell you about, though, is a man named Jesus who can look you in the eye and can say, I understand. I know what you're going through. Any relationship breakdown, any betrayal, any miscarriage of justice, any physical or physiological pain that you can imagine, Jesus has walked that road of sorrows. In the trenches of cancer, career disappointment, parenting, debt, and loneliness, sexual violence, the problem of human suffering, it can't be minimized or explained away, and I can't tie it up in a neat intellectual bow for you today. But in the Christian story, the suffering has been shared. In the real world of hard work and disappointment, how can we worship a God who's immune to it? To talk about God loving us independently of the cross makes the love of God nothing more than mere sentiment. Who cares? Who cares? We need a shamed God. We need a whipped God. We need a bleeding God. We need a despairing God. The New Hampshire poet laureate Jane Kenyon grasped at this mystery of Good Friday. The God of curved space, the dry God, is not going to help us. But the son whose blood spattered the hem of his mother's robe. For a God of love, the cross is inescapable. The cross, inescapable, and yet dazzling, a dazzling beauty with power. Gandhi admired the example of the cross, 
but he didn't believe it had any power beyond that moment to change people's lives. A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, which uh, inspired the Batman movie, uh, The Dark Knight Rises. In the book, the Dickens book, Charles and Sidney look very much alike, and they love the same woman, uh, the beautiful Lucy. Lucy marries Charles, and they have a child. The backdrop of the story is the French Revolution, and Charles, who is a leading French aristocrat, is imprisoned and sentenced to death by the guillotine. At the end of the novel, Charles is visited by his old love rival, Sidney, the Bruce Wayne character. And Sidney is English on the night before Charles is going to be executed. Sidney offers to exchange places with him, but Charles refuses. Sidney then has him drugged and smuggles him away in a waiting carriage. Sidney, Bruce Wayne, Batman, Sidney takes his place in prison. That same night, a young seamstress who's also condemned to die comes up to Sidney and strikes up a conversation, thinking he's the famous aristocrat Charles. But she hears his English accent. The penny drops and her eyes widen. Are you going to die for him? Sidney responds, shh, yes. And for his wife, Lucy, whom I love and their child. The young seamstress then confesses how terribly afraid she is and not sure she'll be able to face her own impending death. She asks the brave stranger if he will hold her hand to the end. And when the time comes, they go to death hand in hand. She finds herself composed, even hopeful, as long as she keeps her eyes fixed on Sydney as the blade comes down. The young seamstress was crumbling under the weight of her burden and fear. Yet the wonder of Sidney's dazzling exchange, which Charles didn't ask for and didn't earn, it was freely to given to him in love. It had a power, a power to strengthen her to face the ultimate test. The inescapable, dazzling cross where God got personally involved, putting himself where we deserve to be. It's the great exchange that can create a different kind of person, a, a different kind of culture, even a different kind of church. Because on the cross, we have God, who is in the ultimate place of safety and power, and God uh, reverses places with the arrogant with the gossips, with the marginalized, with the poor, with the oppressed, and people who are shaped by the dazzling power in this great exchange, they no longer need to have their identity, their hope, their, their future, uh, defined by status or power or money or, or even race. Because people who are learning how to follow Jesus don't fear their ultimate future. They know where the story's going to end up. Money, for example, money uh, becomes something that we can use to uh, provide for our own basic needs, but money also becomes something we can give away. 
to fulfill God's purposes of justice and hope for people in this city and around the world. Followers of Jesus, dazzled by the wonder of a God who emptied God's self of all power, skill, and status on the cross, see their skills, their power, their accomplishments as tools to be used to serve other people. Followers of Jesus, amazed by the beauty of a creator, submitting himself to cruel whips and a crown of thorns, they gain courage and strength because suffering and death don't have to be experienced alone and without meaning. And as we'll see in just two days' time, they don't even get the last word. On this Good Friday, we have before us an inescapable and dazzling beauty, the cross. Francesco Tucci, when interviewed by the BBC about his cross, said this, I want future generations to remember when they look at the wood that it's made from suffering but leads to freedom. Whether you're curious, critical, or committed, the death of Jesus on the cross, it's already happened, and we didn't need to lift a finger. The wood of the cross already has nails in it. The power of the cross is free to all, and it's here for you today. As Erica sings Pie Jesu, fix your eyes upon the cross. Admit your need for God to be personally involved and let our Heavenly Father do the rest. Thanks be to God. Amen.